Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So Donald Trump and company continue to weaponize the courts, right? They use the delay that's built into the system as a way to avoid ever being made to account, ever being made to account for their crimes, their abuses, their corruption. The thing is, there is a fix. It's an easy fix. It's a fix that doesn't even require an act of Congress. Let's take this on. Let's tackle it. Let's get after it. Because now more than ever, justice matters. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to episode four of my podcast, Justice Matters. Um, we're tweaking things a little bit. Uh, we are both recording this as a video podcast, which we'll put on YouTube. And we're going to strip the audio and put that on the more traditional podcast platforms where you have found Justice Matters previously. This is in response to some requests and some feedback that I got from many of you all saying, you know, some folks would like to be able to access it on YouTube. Others are happy to just listen to the audio uh, podcast while they're, you know, going driving to work or mowing their lawn or, or working out in the gym. So we're going to try to cover both bases as a, um, uh, as a result of some of the feedback that you all have provided. Thank you for providing feedback. Please keep it coming both on form and on substance, um, because the substance, when you all tell me what you're most interested in hearing about, what you're most anxious about, that you're having to contend with in these insane days of the Donald Trump administration. I mean, it's been a very long, dark three and a half going on four years, but the light is coming, folks. I believe the light is coming. If we all get to the polls on November 4th, and then if we hold on tight after Trump loses in a landslide, we hold on tight in that period between November and January when Trump will do goodness knows what, issue across the board pardons to his cabinet officials, his family members, his supporters in Congress, select Republican governors. I mean, who knows? Will he also bilk the U.S. Treasury? You know, they've been grifting the whole time they've been in office. Will they just accelerate that and try to empty out the treasury, stealing our tax dollars? Who knows? Who knows? I think we can put nothing past Donald Trump and company when the president of the United States stands up and says, I want people to go out and vote for me twice, urging citizens to commit felonies to help him cheat in the upcoming election. We can put nothing past him, but the light is coming, folks. The light's coming. Justice is coming. 
and justice matters. So let's get into today's topic. Today's topic is a deep dive into the weaponization of our criminal justice system by Donald Trump, by Don McGahn, by Bill Barr, and others, and what we can do to address it, how we can get after it, how we can tackle it, because we can. It's doable. I'm not going to say it's easy. You know, I'm not going to be like Donald Trump and say, who knew healthcare reform would be so easy? Because, you know, he alone can fix it, right? You know, I'm not going to say it's easy, but you know what? Defeating Donald Trump's weaponization of the courts, defeating his ability to exploit the delay in the system to try to run out the clock doesn't take an act of Congress. It actually is not all that hard to accomplish. And we're going to talk about how we can accomplish it and how we will accomplish it beginning in January. So you may notice I don't have a computer on my desk. We just moved out into some office space. Um, so I have, you know, an eight by 10 room, which is my office, another eight by 10 room, which is my studio, right? Um, we do it all ourselves here, folks, myself, my wife, and my kids. We don't have a production team. We don't have professionals. Um, the only overhead really is the $28 can of paint from Home Depot that I use to paint that nifty gray wall behind me. Not bad, right? Um, I will go down a little side alley and tell you um, that I love to paint. My grandfather was a house painter. Beginning at eight years old, he used to take me out on jobs with him. And I learned how to paint houses inside and out. And I still love to paint houses inside and out. So if anybody's looking for a painter. Um, so we've moved into this new space. You'll see I have no computer, but you know what I have? I have lots of legal pads and lots of pens. It's my comfort zone. It's the way I did it in 30 plus years in court. It's the way I continue to do it. You know, people try to drag me kicking and screaming into the modern era. Yeah, not going. Um, because this is not a professional operation, this is just us. Um, there's no editing, so you're going to see plenty of mistakes. And you may hear me say from time to time when I make a mistake that, you know, we can edit that out later. We can't, we can't edit anything out. Um, and I think I actually stole that line from David Letterman. But um, so it's all going to be done with legal pads and pens. So let's take on Donald Trump and Don McGahn and others' weaponization of the criminal justice system and specifically the delay that's built into the system. Um, and I want to start by using the Don McGahn litigation as an example, because back on April 22nd, 2019, we're going about a year and a half ago, almost the house of representatives subpoenaed Don McGahn for documents and testimony in what was in essence, their impeachment inquiry. Why did they want to hear from Don McGahn? Well, let's talk about just one example of the information Don McGahn could provide. We'll edit that out later. Um, you know, one of the more notorious incidents of Donald Trump's felony obstruction of justice was when Donald Trump told Don McGahn fire special counsel Bob Mueller. He didn't want Bob Mueller poking around in, into his business. And Don McGahn wisely said, 
No, Mr. President, I'm not doing it. That could be perceived as obstructing justice. So Donald Trump then said, okay, if you won't fire Bob Mueller, I need you to lie to everybody and tell them that I never instructed you to fire Bob Mueller. In fact, I'm going to need you to gin up some false official documents that say that we can use later to prove that I never told you to fire Bob Mueller. That would be felony obstruction of justice. That's an easy one to prove. Needless to say, Congress wanted to get a hold of that information, documents, testimony from McGahn, um, to prove up Donald Trump's crimes, high crimes. He doesn't mess around with misdemeanors. He goes right to the high crimes. So then Donald Trump on May 20th, about a month later, ordered Don McGahn not to comply with the lawfully issued congressional subpoena. You know what we call that, folks? That would be a cover-up of the cover-up. And Don McGahn dutifully refused to comply with the lawfully issued congressional subpoena. And I'm not going to dwell on the fact that Congress chose not to enforce its subpoena by using its power of inherent contempt and arresting Don McGahn to compel his testimony. They could have. They opted not to. We've talked before about how that's Congress tying one hand behind its back in a fight for our democracy. They didn't do it. So what they did instead was they filed suit in federal district court in D.C. to try to enforce the subpoena. And they filed suit on August 7th of 2019. And we've been litigating the Don McGahn subpoena ever since. We've been litigating the subpoena for Don McGahn's testimony all the while the um, House of Representatives impeachment inquiry was going on. They drafted and voted on articles of impeachment. Those articles of impeachment were passed, so the president was impeached, sent over to the Senate for an impeachment trial, all the while, no Don McGahn. Subpoena still being litigated. The trial is conducted in the Senate. No Don McGahn testimony. That's courtesy in part also of Mitch McConnell putting the fix in, right? Mitch McConnell said, we're going to hold a trial with no witnesses, and no documents, and no evidence, and no exhibits. That's not a trial. Politicians gave a bunch of speeches. The fix was in. And the Republicans refused to hold Donald Trump accountable for his crimes. Still no Dom again. We are still in court as of today, litigating the enforceability of the McGahn subpoena. Here's what's happened in recent months with respect to the Dom McGahn subpoena litigation. So on, in February, this past February, a three-judge panel of the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals issued an opinion saying that the House of Representatives doesn't have standing to litigate the enforceability of its own subpoena. Okay, what's standing? Let me explain in, in the simplest terms what standing is. If somebody's involved in a contract dispute, so Sam and Linda, and Linda 
says Sam violated the contract and she wants to enforce the contract by bringing suit. If I file suit on behalf of Linda because her contractual rights were violated, I don't have what's called standing. This ain't, I don't have a dog in the fight. It's not my legal suit to bring. It's Linda's. So that is an example of how a court might say, if I filed suit, I don't have standing. You can't bring this suit. Linda has to bring it. But Congress was trying to enforce its own right to have its subpoenas honored. So, of course, Congress has standing to bring a suit to enforce the Don McGahn subpoena. Because Don McGahn told Congress, take a flying leap. I'm not complying with your lawfully issued subpoena. But in February, a three-judge panel heard that McGahn claim, and two of the judges said, yeah, we don't think Congress has standing, which was nonsense. Nonsense. We know it's nonsense because the House then appealed it to the full D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, called an en banc appeal. Not just those three judges, two of whom said, yeah, Congress can't sue. They have no standing. So the full court heard it. And seven of the judges, seven of the nine judges, decided the case correctly. They said, of course, Congress has standing. So that, that panel decision was overturned. And then the full en banc court set it back down, sent the case back down to that three-judge panel to deal with the other issues in the McGann litigation. And what did that three-judge panel just do about a week ago? They said, well, begrudgingly, if, he had, if, if Congress has standing, we still think there's no law that allows Congress to sue Don McGahn to, to enforce its subpoena. So they found another reason to rule against the House of Representatives in its attempt to force Don McGahn to comply with the lawfully issued subpoena. So now that case is undoubtedly going to go back up to the en banc court and they will again decide it correctly and say, no, of course, Congress has the legal authority to bring this suit to enforce its own subpoenas. But the thing is, folks, it's the delay and the delay and the delay that is built into the process that the Donald Trumps and the Don McGahns take advantage of to run out the clock. Procedurally, our courts are broken. And we're going to talk about how we can fix them in a minute because the fix is doable and it's not that hard. So what will, what will happen after the en banc court again decides the issue again in favor of the House of Representatives subpoena against Don McGahn? It will probably send it back down to the three-judge panel to resolve more issues. And the case will kind of ping-pong back and forth between these various levels of the lower courts, the en banc court, the three-judge panel, the trial court that decided the issue in the first instance. Until it runs its course in those lower courts, Don McGahn will lose. And what will he do? He will appeal it up to the Supreme Court. And that's another half a year delay. They're running out the clock. They're successfully weaponizing the delay built into the court system to run out the clock. So 
you know, and it's just like the tax cases, right? Remember what happened? Remember how Donald Trump's lawyers keep attacking the subpoena for Donald Trump's taxes and his financial records? And the case has been going on forever and it goes up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, no man is king. They send it back down to the trial court. And then Donald Trump's lawyers march into court and make a whole bunch of additional frivolous claims. And they lose and then they appeal that. And then they'll lose and then that will get appealed to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court will rule against Donald Trump again and send it back down to the trial court. And nothing is accomplished. The only thing that's accomplished is Donald Trump and Don McGahn and the rest of these corrupt clowns are never held accountable. And we, the people, suffer. We suffer a corrupt presidential administration. Here's the thing, folks. This can be fixed with two words. Specialized court. Maybe more precisely, specialized docket. What do I mean by that? So, here, we'll edit this out later. No, we won't. So, there are specialized courts that have been um, created over time that recognize there was a systemic problem in the way that courts were handling certain cases. So they adjusted, the courts adjusted. Remember the judiciary is one of those co-equal branches of government. They don't just have to sit back and let the Trumps and the McGahns weaponize their own system against them, against justice being done in a timely manner, against we the people, against the rule of law. But unfortunately, the courts have kind of twiddled their thumbs procedurally. They've kind of let these litigants make frivolous claim after frivolous claim, take frivolous appeal after frivolous appeal, and run out the clock on justice. There are specialized courts, specialized dockets that have been created to deal with similar problems. Let me use the Superior Court in the District of Columbia as an example, and then we're going to move directly to the Federal District Court in D.C. that handles the McGahn cases. So I was a prosecutor for 30 years, and I've, I never opted to go to the Department of Justice proper, what we call main justice, on the very few occasions anybody ex expressed any interest in me going over to main justice and maybe taking a supervisory position over there. I was six blocks away down the street at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia, my professional home for nearly quarter of a century. And it's where I wanted to be. It's where I love doing the hard work of justice day in and day out in Washington, D.C., in both the federal courts and the local courts, because as D.C. Assistant U.S. Attorneys, we have an unusual mandate or jurisdiction. We get to do all of the prosecuting in Washington, D.C., all of the traditional federal prosecuting and all of the local prosecuting in D.C. Superior Courts. That's how I got to work, you know, murder cases and conspiracy cases in D.C. Superior Court, because there's no district attorney 
in Washington, D.C., because it's a, it's a federal city. It was chartered as a federal city. So whereas the 50 states have district attorneys, states' attorneys, commonwealth's attorneys, in D.C., we are one-stop shopping as the prosecutors in the District of Columbia, both federally and locally. The other 93 U.S. attorneys' offices prosecute only federal crimes. They don't prosecute all the local crimes. In D.C., we did it all. And it was a vibrant practice. It was a wonderful practice. We got to, you know, help the victims in the District of Columbia day in and day out, you know, try to um, win some justice for their victimization. So on those very few occasions, somebody from Maine Justice, you know, even asked if I had any interest in, you know, transferring the six blocks to Maine Justice. I always politely declined um, because I enjoyed what I was doing. So I spent a lot of time in D.C. Superior Court. I know that was a little side alley I went down. We can edit that out later. Um, and in D.C. Superior Court, over time, they realized they needed specialized courts to deal with some of the challenges they were encountering in the judicial system in Washington, D.C. So they created things like um, drug court to handle drug cases really efficient, efficiently, you know, with subject matter experts on drug cases. And they could consider diversion programs where people didn't need to necessarily pick up a criminal conviction for minor drug offenses. They could enter diversion programs. They could get some help for their addiction. And then if they stayed out of trouble, they never had a conviction on their record at all. That's called the diversion program. So Superior Court in D.C. set up drug court, all right? There are other courts that were set up in the, um, the courts of D.C. They set up uh, domestic violence court. They set up mental health court. They used to have an accelerated court called the AFTC court, the Accelerated Felony Trial Calendar, to handle cases quickly when somebody was detained, was locked up, was jailed pre-trial. So the judiciary adjusted the way it did business to account for the challenges, the legal challenges that they recognized were part of the practice in Washington, D.C. Let's go across the street from D.C. Superior Court to D.C. Federal District Court, where the McGann case is being handled, where the Roger Stone case was handled, where the Mike Flynn case is being handled by judges who are working diligently and honorably and ethically to protect the integrity of our criminal justice system. Judges like Emmett Sullivan handling the Flynn litigation in the trial court. Judges like Reggie Walton handling the FOIA litigation by which people are trying to get a hold of the unredacted Mueller report so we the people can see what in the world was going on in the Trump administration that's been redacted, that's been withheld by Bill Barr. So in that federal court where all of this, I'm going to call it political litigation goes on, right? Litigation that goes on, for example, as a result of two co-equal branches of government bumping heads, fighting one another, the executive branch and the legislative branch, like the McGahn litigation. The D.C. federal court has stood up its own 
um, specialized courts, specialized dockets. Docket is just a fancy word for a kind of court or a kind of judge that presides over a kind of case. For example, Judge Reggie Walton, who I mentioned a moment ago, he um, stood up something called reentry court. It's a specialized court that deals with ex-offenders who have served their sentence. They're re-entering the community. They're on supervision to the court. And what Judge Reggie Walton did in D.C. federal court, here's the press release from 2016 when he stood up, when he, as part of um, a pilot program, created reentry court, is they take all ex-offenders who are on supervision to the federal court and they help them succeed in re-entry. Think about it. When most people are on probation or parole, if they get in trouble, if they stumble, if they fall, they get hauled back into court and they get punished. They get revoked. They get sanctioned. Judge Reggie Walton was part of a project who said, no, they've served their sentence. Let's try something different. Re-entry court, where we all come together to help them successfully re-enter society by helping them work toward getting jobs, by helping them working on their education if need be, by helping them get the mental health counseling, the, the anger management counseling, the other counseling that they need. Let's help them succeed. They've served their sentence. They've paid their debt. Let's help them. Let's not just wait until they stumble on supervision, on probation or parole. Let's help them succeed. That's called re-entry court. And I've been in court and I've watched these hearings and I'm trying to work on some efforts to make re-entry more successful for ex-offenders. That is the court seeing a need in the criminal justice system and stepping up and filling that need. Here we go. Because this is how we can fix this endless weaponization of the delay in the system by Donald Trump, Don McGahn, and other nefarious actors. All the court has to do is create a specialized court. I don't mean a specialized court like the, the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. That required an act of Congress. This doesn't require an act of Congress, what, what we're talking about, what I'm proposing. All you need to do is recognize that there is a need in the criminal justice system that has gone unfulfilled. And it's allowed people like Donald Trump and Don McGahn to exploit the system, exploit the delays involved in litigating these issues. If you create a specialized court, I've called it the Interbranch Dispute Court, the IBDC where when there is a dispute that arises between the two branches of government, right? The Congress rightfully subpoenas something or someone from the executive branch. And under Donald Trump, Donald Trump orders the executive branch officials not to comply, do not testify, do not produce documents that Congress has every right to because it's got an oversight responsibility. It's a co-equal branch of government it has to subpoena witnesses to fulfill that oversight responsibility, documents to fulfill that oversight responsibility. Um, not to mention, it also, the House of Representatives has the sole and exclusive power of impeachment, and it needs to be able to subpoena evidence if it is to fulfill that constitutional 
responsibility, that sole and exclusive responsibility of impeachment. And if the executive branch lawlessly says, I don't care, we're not complying. Well, then then Congress is no longer a co-equal branch of government. Then our system of democracy breaks down. And that's where we are. That's where we are. Our system of democracy is broken, courtesy of Donald Trump and company. So when that happens, all you do is you go to the interbranch dispute court. And the interbranch dispute court, which takes nothing more than a few rule changes by the federal district court in D.C., doesn't take an act of Congress, says, fine, executive branch, you don't want to comply with a lawful congressional subpoena from the House of Representatives. You have 72 hours to um, file your brief and explain why you don't think you have to comply with a lawfully issued congressional subpoena. And then after I receive your brief, 72 hours after that, we'll have oral argument. And then 72 hours later, I will render my opinion. And I'll resolve this in, what, less than two weeks? Maybe the judges need a little bit more time to grapple with these issues. Maybe it's a one week, okay? One week to file, one week to argue, one week for the court to issue its decision. You want to appeal that decision? Fine. You have one week to file, one week to argue, and in one week, a court will render its decision. Justice in six weeks. And then it may be more of a challenge getting it up through the Supreme Court, but even the Supreme Court, I think, can be made to do things on an expedited basis. Heck, we did it in 74 with a Nixon subpoena. They resolved that matter in four months from the time the subpoena was issued for Nixon's tapes until the Supreme Court resolved it. Four months. We can do it again. We have to do it again. We can't wait year after year after year to force Don McGahn to testify about Donald Trump's felony obstruction of justice. Because look at where it's gotten us. So this can be done. This should be done. I would suggest, you know, it must be done. Because if the courts are aware that there is this glitch in the system, there's this weak spot, and if they know they can shore it up, they can actually do justice in a timely manner by making some simple rule changes, by simply adjusting some deadlines to do justice in a timely manner. Why would they not do it? How can they not do it? I suggest they have to do it. And beginning in January, I suggest we will do it. Because the only good thing about Donald Trump and all of his Republican enablers and co-conspirators, aiders and abettors and accessories, is that they've exposed the weak spots in our democracy. They've exposed the weak spots in our institutions that need to be shored up, whether with legislation or with some simple rule changes. And these are the things we're going to need to tackle beginning in January. And we will. Too important not to. Too important not to. So folks, thank you for either listening, if, you're, um, if you've downloaded the podcast, or watching, if you are on YouTube. Um, I would invite you to go to Patreon and 
if you want to support our effort and our content, sign up to be a patron. Um, I would greatly appreciate that. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter, Glenn Kirshner 2 Obviously, you can find me on uh, my YouTube channel, which is just under my name. And you can find us on all your typical podcast platforms um, where we'll be posting the next episode of Justice Matters uh, next week. And uh, in the meantime, as always, folks, um, please stay safe. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon. Thank you.